I want to welcome everyone watching online. Thank you for watching online. Also want to welcome everyone watching from the Baldwin County Jail. We love you. We appreciate you. You're awesome and amazing. Thank you so much for joining with us today. So this guy is a middle-aged fella, and he went and bought him a red Mercedes-Benz convertible and uh, thought, man, this is the deal, man. I'm finally living life. And he got it out on the interstate, and he put that thing to the test, and he got that thing up to 80 miles an hour, and he's like, boy, this is really good. This feels so good, and I bet this thing goes faster than that. And so he pumped it up to 100 miles an hour, and hair's blowing in the wind, and he's just smiling real big, and looked in his rearview mirror and saw some blue lights. And he thought to himself, I can outrun this character because this thing's a bad to the bone car. So he punched 120, moving on up faster than that. He was going and dawned on him. He said, what am I doing? I'm, I'm, an old, I'm an old man. This is crazy. What are you doing? So he pulls off to the side of the room. Officer comes out of the car, walks up to the back and he says, sir, I'm going to be clocking out in 30 minutes. I really don't want to have to give you a ticket. So if you can give me one reason why you were speeding so fast, a reason I've never heard before, I'll let you go. And that old man looked up at that state patrol and said, sir, last week my wife left me for a state patrol officer and I thought you were bringing her back. <laughs> the officer said, well, you have a nice day. That's, that's, that'll work. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Well, hey, listen, let me ask you a question. Have you, have you ever remembered a time in your life where you were so thirsty, you literally thought you were going to pass out? I mean, just your mouth was dry, your tongue was swollen, you you, you dehydrated, and just like this is like, I mean, how, how many have ever experienced something like this, just, just that hot, that dehydrated? Well, my wife is an interesting, we're going to talk about some, but my wife is an interesting lady. I, I love her so much. And, but one of the things, you know, we all have these little things. I asked her, because so, everywhere where we go, she, she carries bottles of water with her, right? And, and I mean, I could take her on a, um, I could kidnap her and take her to like a five-star resort. And we've talked about this. She knows I'm talking about this. She, she's like, whatever. And so... <laughs> I could take her to this beautiful resort, kidnap her, have all the clothes in the, you know, in the suitcase, have the straight curly hair straightener, whatever that you know y'all ladies use, and have everything there to choose. And, and I could be red carpet carrying her into the, the beautiful resort. And, and she, she, if she said, did you bring the case of water? And if I said no, then no matter what I did, it wasn't good enough. It was a failure. It was an F. It didn't work. Um, my wife, is just because she grew up drinking sulfur water, that's all she knew her whole life, so she loves to have a good clean glass of filtered or bottled water. So in, she carries around a, a backpack purse, but it's really not a backpack. It's actually a camel-connected device that she wears on her back. And I promise you, if we were ever dropped into the Mojave Desert for a, new, a week, we would survive because of the water that's inside that bag. She may have some other cosmetic things in there, but I promise you there's two or three bottles. Do you have, you have some water in there right now? <laughs> yeah, I know. But anyway, it's so funny. So, so water is something we all crave, we all want. We all want to make sure we have some. We're going to be talking about 
a guy named David this morning and a little bit about some water. Let me give you the background of this guy first. And uh, we're all good. We're good, right? We're, we're good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, David was running from a guy named Saul. Saul was after him. He was jealous of him. And David finds himself alone. He's homeless. And he's empty-handed. He finds himself hiding in a cave. They would name the cave Adullam Cave. Actually, it means refuge. Interesting, because we talked about that last week. It would be there in that cave that he was forced by God, if you would, to get quiet for a little bit and just to hear what God was trying to say to him and the next steps perhaps he was supposed to take. Isn't it interesting that sometimes God has to put us in a cave for us to kind of be quiet enough to hear his voice for the next steps that he has for our life. It's there in that cave that he actually writes a song. We have it recorded in the book of Psalms chapter 142. I'll read two of the verses of that song that he wrote while he was in that dark cave at this period of time as he's running from Saul. He said, when I am overwhelmed, you alone know the way I should turn. Wherever I go, my enemies have set traps for me. And I look for someone to come and help me, but no one gives me a passing thought. No one will even help me. No one cares a bit what happens to me. But then, I pray to you, O Lord, and I say, you are my place of refuge. You are all I really want. Mm. Maybe you've said those words. Maybe you've prayed that prayer. Maybe you've sang that song in your own heart. So while David is waiting in the desert's dead end, cave, God began to move. And God began to send him some company, some people that cared about him. Unfortunately, they were all in debt, in distress, or discouraged, the Bible says. Isn't it interesting how God does that? You say, God, nobody cares for me. I need some help. And God sends you some problems. People with problems. People that really themselves are messed up. You're like, God, I know I want some people that aren't messed up. Can you send me some people that I can talk to in my lonely time that don't have a lot of issues going on? I, I need someone that, that can understand me where I'm at. And God goes, no, I, you don't need someone that understands you. You need someone that you understand. And so God sends some people that they're coming out of the woodwork from all over Israel, from all the little towns. They hear somehow that David's holed up in this little cave called Adullam. And they go there everywhere, all these people coming, up to 600, the Bible says, 600 men, all discontented, all in distress, all in debt. And they're looking, they're looking for David. Why? Because David understood where they were at. David was now, to them, their country. 
They left their king. They left their nation. And they found David. And David becomes to them their king. Even though David doesn't have a nation. They didn't need a nation. They just needed a king. They needed a friend. They needed someone who understood and would sit down and have some coffee with them. And hear their story. And say, it's okay. It's going to be all right. God's big enough. Let's pray together. Let's, let's worship God together. And suddenly these 600 people with distress and problems that in debt and discouraged uh, suddenly became this mighty army, somebody, a group of people that became ferociously dedicated to David. In fact, they would have a name. They would be called the Gaborim, the mighty. They would call them the mighty men of David, the Gaborim. And these Gaborim, these men were a terrifying, loyal army of 600 that no one gave a time of day for a few weeks ago. But suddenly this man who had his own issues and his own problems and turned around and invested in others instead of worrying about himself, uh, knowing that God would take care of him. Suddenly he had some friends that became so fascinating, loyal to him, he couldn't get away from them. Come on. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, quit worrying about yourself. Come on, just tell them they need to hear that. Get, quit worrying about yourself. Turn to your other neighbor and tell them, there's somebody waiting to talk to you. Come on, there's somebody waiting to talk to you. You need to help. It's interesting how every problem has potential. And many times your answers come from the very seeds that you sow in other people's lives. Come on, somebody. That's a, good, that's a tweet right there. That's a tweet. Your answers come from the very seeds that you sow in other people's lives. I want you to look at 2 Samuel 23. We're going to jump into this little story. We're going to talk about it, unpack it for just a few minutes. I believe God's, I really truly believe this morning God's going to do some amazing things. In our hearts, in our hearts. Look at this. So once during the harvest when David was at the cave of Adullam, the Philistine army was camped in the valley of Rephaim. And the three who were among the 30, an elite group of David's fighting men, I'm talking about, went down to meet him there. And David was staying in the stronghold at the time, and, which was Adullam, and a Philistine detachment and I, had occupied the town of Bethlehem. And David remarked longingly to his men, Oh, how I would love some of that good water from the well by the gate of Bethlehem. And so the three broke through the Philistine lines, drew some water from the well by the gate of Bethlehem, and brought it back to David. But he refused to drink it. Instead, he poured it out as an offering to the Lord. The Lord forbid that I should drink this, he exclaimed. This water is as precious as the blood of these men who risked their lives to bring it to me. So David didn't drink. And these are the examples of the exploits of the three. So in this story, we have a few players. Number one is David. Let me remind you, in the book of Acts, it tells us that David was, was a man after God's own heart. Let me also tell you this, that when you read the Bible, it is a very historical uh, um, writing. It's all historical, all the events that take place are historically have taken place and are very real. Archaeological findings have proven it over and over again. But it's not just historical and factual as a form of events that took place, but everything as well in this book points to Jesus. And if you look past the facts and look past the, the writings and look deeper, what you'll find is actually sermons that God is pointing to and preaching to us, lifting up and magnifying Jesus, the Son of God. 
If you look for Jesus in every story, it's a, it becomes a fascinating book. It's like a treasure trove of, of, of incredible items that, that you, you, you look into and go, I had no idea this was there. So what I want you to see is this guy David, as pointed out, was a man after God's own heart, is a symbol in the Bible many times of Jesus. In fact, there would even be uh, one chapter uh, that he would write a song that he would write. It was almost as if he was Jesus himself prophesying about the beatings he would take and the torment that he would have and the people that would scorn him. And David was prophetically speaking at, at, about Jesus' cross and the crucifixion. And so if we look at David, this player in the story of being Jesus, we're going to find some deeper truths in this story. The second group of actors we have, if you would, players in the story, are the three mighty men that were there in his company at the time. Joseph Bathshebeth was one, an incredible man, killed 800 Philistines in one encounter, the Bible says. Imagine standing here by yourself with a sword and every single person in this room starts attacking you. Your name is Joseph Bathshebeth. And you just begin to just one-on-one, -on -one, just you're taking them on, you're taking them on. And by the end of, you know, the day, it's just, a, it's just, a, a, it's just surrounded by all these dead bodies and you're left standing there. And at that point, you become a mighty man. In fact, you just take one of us on, you're still a mighty man. 800 in one encounter, Joseph Bathshebeth. And then there was Eleazar who refused to retreat during a battle when the Philistines attacked and he refused to go backwards and he stood forward facing a frontal attack of another onslaught of Philistines coming against the armies of Israel. Everyone else had vacated, but he stood there alone and he vanquished all of them. <laughs> and then there was Shammah. Again, another battle all the soldiers flee except him. He's standing, the Bible says, in a lintel field. We talked about it a few weeks ago. Has a sword and he's just going to town and he's just doing battle with all these people coming at him, coming at him, coming at him. so much so that he vanquished all, actually destroyed all of them and when, at the end of the day, they had to pry his fingers off of the sword because he had frozen himself to the sword, which is the word of God, which is another sermon. It was a great sermon. The setting is harvest time. It's hot, it's, it's, it's humid. The farmers are out in the field, everyone's focused, everyone's working hard. And then there's David nearby in the cave, trying to stay cool as well, hot, waiting for God's next assignment that they would send to him in that cave, the place of refuge. The Philistines, had come in and invaded Israel, and in fact had set up a fortress, if you would, in the town nearby called Bethlehem, in the Valley of Rephim, which means literally the Valley of Giants, known for its abundance of grain, this beautiful valley full of harvest. The Philistines had come to squander and to take and remove what the Israelites had sown so hard in months ago. And there's David in the cave waiting for God's next assignment. What should we do? And here's the good news. In the midst of a harvest, in the midst of fleshly giants, because actually the word Philistine means dust dwellers. 
dust. We are all created from dust. From dust we come, from dust we'll return. Dust speaks of the earth. It speaks of the flesh. It speaks of the world. It speaks of the carnality of the world. So we're dealing here, David's dealing with, Israel's dealing with dust dwellers, people that, that all they know is the carnality of the world. All they know is to live in their senses. All they know is to make decisions based upon, you know, what they feel at the time. So dust dwellers are all around and, and this, this giant, they're giants. It's like the, the, the field of giants is like, you know, the most carnal culture you can imagine has swallowed up, you know, the Israelites at this time in this vicinity. And yet there's hidden away a little cave. And in that cave is a, is a few hundred men who love the Lord, who, who love God and stand for truth and stand for justice. And, and can I just say this, like Elijah one day cried out to God and said, God, I'm the only one left in the whole land that's still following after you. And he goes, oh, be quiet, little guy. There's 700 other men just like you hiding away in caves that haven't bowed their knee to Baal. Get up, man of God, and do something for me. How, how can I just tell you this morning that no matter what it looks like out there, that God still has some people in here called the Cave of Adullam, a place of refuge, uh, and he's going to do some mighty things through you. Yes, he is. And so the Philistines have built a garrison. And, this, and David and his mighty men are living there in this cave. And can I just say that David being the Jesus and the, the cave full of people being the church. And, 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 and in this culture, there's, there's a, an Adullam's cave. There's a church and there's Jesus dwelling together. And nearby in Bethlehem, which is interesting because the name Bethlehem means the house of bread, another symbol of the church. I mean, no, this is the house of bread. This is, this is another way of saying, you know, church. You could say Bethlehem in the Old Testament or church in the New Testament. It's the same thing. This is where you come to get some food. It's the storehouse, if you would. It's where you come to get nourished. And so Bethlehem had been taken over by some dust dwellers, the flesh people living in their senses. It, it, can I say it like this? The church had become, in a sense, had become carnal. It had become a place where people didn't make decisions out of their spirit, but, but it would have become almost a powerless institution. Miracles were no longer sought for. The church had lost uh, its significance in the land. Uh, Bethlehem, where the church was just a shadow of what it used to be, it had become filled with compromise. Uh, and these dust dwellers had set up their headquarters in a place called the church. Uh, but yet there's some people outside in a little place called a cave uh, that still believed in the power of God and the miracles of God. And then if the anointing of God would have come upon them, great signs and wonders would follow them that believe. Uh, I believe today God is raising up a church, uh, and it's a powerful church. Uh, and the days are coming where we're coming out of the cave. Come on, somebody. And the dust dwellers are going to find out uh, exactly what the church uh, is all about. And so something significant begins to happen. Three of David's friends, these three I just mentioned to you, come down to watch Alabama play Auburn in the Iron Bowl. <laughs> they're sitting there on the couch and got the TV flipped on and enjoying a good old game. And about that Alabama, man, they barely pulled it out yesterday against those Razorbacks. And some people were a little worried. Yeah, we got some hogs and we got some elephants all up in this house right now. I know that. And, and they're watching the game and it's hot, it's humid. And, you know, they're just sitting around talking and talking about the good old days when, you know, they didn't have any problems, you know. The days when 
They were in high school, come on, and playing football for the team and making, you know, what they, what they were the, you know, the, the, the dudes back in those days, you know, and they're watching college football, but they were the guys back in there. They're talking about their home and everything. And maybe one of the guys, we're just talking here, one, maybe one of the guys said, David, what do, you, what do you miss the most about Bethlehem where you were raised? What, what do you miss the most? Well, I'll tell you what, I, <laughs> the water. I mean, it was the water, man. That, the well in Bethlehem? Dude, it was like, it's the most incredible water, when, especially on a day kind of like today. It's just, it's cold. It's like, has even all, it's like its own taste. I, I don't know how to describe it. When you put that bucket down that well and you pull that thing out and you start drinking from that water, it, it just makes everything right. I remember my grandpa, my, my grandpa Wilson, my dad's dad, he was a lineman, worked for the power, power company, and he was one of those linemen back in the days where they would wear these, these little things on their shoes and their boots with a little, with a, like a little thorn or like a, long, a, a sharp um, whatever coming out, uh, an end coming out, and he would literally climb the poles. He was a lineman. He would climb the poles, stick those things in the side. You've probably seen in the old days, you know, the big poles and, and the holes on them. You wonder, how come he's got holes? Was well, from all the linemen climbing up. There. And that was my grandfather. He was a hefty man. He was a strong man. He was a godly man too. And, 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 and he was one of these guys that he had a shop outside the house. You would walk out the back of his house and there was a cracked concrete with grass growing up through the cracks of the sidewalk. And, and it would come to his little shop in the back. It was a white wooden door with a little window in it. And most of the time the door was open. And you walk into that shop and it wasn't organized at all. It was, <laughs> it was just, there was tools everywhere and stuff. And just, it was just, there was a bench over there on the right and there would be a little cleared out spot where you could actually work on something if you wanted but everything else was just you know full of you know little Folgers cans we're in the Folgers you know tin cans and nuts and bolts and all sorts of stuff just everything there was like a little path that we walked through the little garage little shop uh, and there was stuff piled everywhere and he knew where everything was you, you, you'd ask him, hey, can I borrow a, 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 you know, a chainsaw? Oh, yeah, yeah, it's back in the left corner. As you, walk in, what? you walk in, all you see is just junk, you know, but he could take you right to and pull that thing out of the junk. It was, it was, and I loved as a little kid going to this shop, and, and, and I would go in there, and it smelled just like a man, you know, like grease and oil and, 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 and gasoline all mixed together with a bunch of dust and dirt. You know, it's like, oh, I may be five, but I'm a man up in the shop of my gramps house. And what I remember when I walked in, I had no idea what all those tools were. That all around, but there on the inside, you just walked inside the front door, on the left, hanging on a little nail, was a wooden little, it was a ladle, if you would. It, was, it had a handle, a wooden handle, and an aluminum can, you know, a cup, and drilled into the piece of wood. And you would grab that ladle, and all the grandkids did it. This is what we did. It was, it was a rites of passage for the grandkids of the Wilson's house. You had to grab the ladder, ladle and there was a little spigot right there in the floor of the garage with the, with the little drain and you turn that spigot on just take to, just a little bit to the right and you put that little aluminum can with a wooden handle underneath it and you fill it up and then and you put it to your mouth that thing's got dust it's got corrosion it's got bacteria it's got infections it's got rheumatoid arthritis it's got whatever <laughs> all, all over it it's got every disease probably known to man but you didn't care because you got that water in that spigot and you went like this 
this out. And when you put that to your mouth, it made everything right. And you knew then you had entered into manhood. <laughs> I can imagine David just talking about this water of Bethlehem, just like I was sharing that with you. And, and the Bible says that he said I, he longed for the waters of Bethlehem. The word longing means he, he wished for, he coveted, he, he, he greatly desired. Can, can I remind you again what I just started with and telling you that David represents who? Jesus. Can I tell you that Jesus has a longing this morning? He, he, there's a longing in Jesus where he greatly desires some things. There's some wishes, if you would, that Jesus has. And I, can I just say that I believe there are times, many times, where Jesus himself is thirsty and he wants to drink a drink from the house of bread. He wants to come to the place called Bethlehem. He wants to come again to a place that he's very familiar with, a place called the church, the body of Christ. And he just, he's not demanding a drink. He's not commanding anyone to give him a drink. He's not telling anybody you got to do something great. He's not requiring it, not screaming, not yelling for a drink. He just has this little passive statement uh, in his heart. Uh, I sure could use uh, something to drink uh, from the house uh, or the well of Bethlehem, the well that's in the church, uh, that's in the body of Christ. Uh, I just have something in my heart. Uh, I long for it. Uh, and he just gave David this, he gave this passive statement. He would, you know how like, like you say just passive things? You don't even think about it. You just passive Passively say it. My wife, my wife, again, I tell you, I, she is so credible. When it comes to Christmas, she never wants anything. She never wants anything for birthday, Christmas. She's the best woman any man could ever marry, I promise you. I mean, she doesn't have a wish list. There's, there's nothing. My wife, I've lived with her for now th almost 30 years, going 30 years in April, and she, uh, she doesn't ever want anything. I'll say, Waste of breath. What do you want for Christmas? We just had this conversation. What do you want for Christmas? Nothing. I could be a prophet. I mean, and just say, ask Melissa what she wants for Christmas, and she's going to say nothing in the name of Jesus. And she'll say nothing. Nothing. I have everything. I got everything I want. And so what I've learned, I have a, my phone, I have a little section in my note section called Melissa's Christmas. And what I've learned over the course of a year, I have to be listening for things that she kind of drops that she likes. She never wants anything, but she'll say, oh, I really like that. She'll, she'll walk into someone's home, she'll smell a candle. Mm, that smells so good. I'll pull out my phone, candle, can, candle, yellow. I'll go over there, she walks away, I look at the bottom of it, you know. Okay, yeah, yeah, I'll say it's a pine candle, and I'll put it in my phone, and then we'll go a couple months, you know, she'll say, man, I was over so-and-so's house, and, and uh, we were having coffee, and, and this little round thing came around the corner and started going around my feet and stuff, and, 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 and like vacuuming the floor, it's called a Roomba or something, it was so cool, she said, it was really cool, and I'm like, oh, Roomba, Roomba round thing, look it up on the internet. This is the only way I know how to buy gifts for this woman. Because she never drops it on me, you know? There's not some lists. She just makes these little comments. And if I don't catch it, she gets nothing. <laughs> well, whatever I give her, she's like, oh, thank you for the golf clubs, but I really... <laughs> 
And so David is like, just kind of like, ah, yeah, man, that water from Bethlehem. <laughs> Woo. Just, just that was so good, that water. I just, and I, I could see one of the mighty men, he puts his coke up on, you know, on, on the footstool there, and he kind of excuses himself and walks around behind David. David's sitting there watching the game, and he's like to the other guys, and so they excuse themselves and they come out outside the house. What's up, man? What? The game's going on. Dude, did you hear what he just said? What? He said he, he wanted water? Yeah, but Bethlehem, I mean, we, we don't, it's occupied by, dude, that's what he wants, so. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's right, that's what he wants. Oh, yeah, that, that's, that's what he said. I heard it. It was a whisper. I caught it. I, I sensed it. It was, it was whispering about something that he didn't even think we would catch, uh, about something that he liked, something that he enjoyed. I, I caught that. And so I want to talk to you real quickly and give you how you become a mighty man or woman of God. Number one, you got to look for the whisper. God doesn't yell. He doesn't scream. The Holy Spirit doesn't get a megaphone and yell it in your face. All these three men became the elite of the elite, the Bible says. They were different from all the other 30 great mighty men and much less more than the other 600. They were different in the fact that they wanted to know the inner parts of their leader. And when they heard a whisper, it wasn't a whisper of something he longed for years ago. It became a command that they needed to do now. You gotta listen to the whisper if you wanna know what God wants you to do now because his longings become your commands. Do you hear what I'm saying, church? John was at the Last Supper with Jesus, and the Bible says that Jesus, the last meal he would have with his disciples before he would go to the cross, and we find John postured there. The King James Version says that he had his head laid across his chest, uh, lying on his breast. Uh, why was he doing that? Because John had a longing in his heart uh, to hear the heartbeat uh, of the Son of God. Uh, there was something. He couldn't sit over there and talk about the other things all the other guys were talking at the end of the table. Let me get nestled right up next to Jesus uh, and put my head uh, right here on his chest. Uh, I want to hear his heartbeat. Uh, I want to hear a whisper. If he happens to say something that he wants, uh, I want to be there so I catch it. Uh, I don't want to miss it. Uh, I don't want to be out here with all this stuff going on that everybody else is chasing after. Put me right there on the chest of Jesus so I can hear a whisper from his mouth. Mm. Three men Three men, body, soul, and spirit, leaning into the life of Christ, uh, wanting to know what it is he desires for them in this moment, uh, wanting everything about them, their senses, their spirit, their soul, their emotions, their body. It's all you, Lord. All I have, I'm giving to you. Just let me hear the whisper coming from your breath. If you want to be a mighty man or woman of God, and number two, you have to stir the desire to make a breakthrough. Can I just tell you that you were built to make breakthroughs? They're desperate to give God what he wants. 
They're desperate to give their commander what he desires. They'll lay down their lives if they have to for a whisper. And David's whisper becomes their calling. David's whisper becomes their duty. David's whisper becomes now their privilege. No price is too high for a bucket of water. Breakthroughs separate you from casual Christianity. Let me say it like this. Many Christians are okay with coming on a Sunday morning. Glad you're here. Please come back. But this is, all, this is good enough for them. This is close as I, I did my thing. I did my duty. Gave God my little token of time for the week. I'm good. We're good. I loved all my see. I heard him sing a little bit. I agreed with what they were saying. Oh, the preacher was okay. So, so I, I feel good inside. I'm, I'm good for the week. But, but let me tell you something. If you really want to be a mighty person of God, someone that God's hands upon, he's anointed, and he sees signs and wonders and miracles flowing through their life, uh, you will have to be a person that only, not only hears the whisper, but is willing to rise up when you hear the whisper and go make a breakthrough in the enemy lines and do something for the King of Kings uh, and the Lord of Lords in the culture and the hour that you are alive in. And they said, he just said he, he longed for some water. We're going to go and we're going to put some action, some feet to this thing. And the Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies, everybody say, my body, a living sacrifice holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Because breakthrough only comes through some kind of sacrifice that you're going to have to make in your life. It might require you fasting a meal or two. It might require you having to say no and spend some time alone with the Lord. It might require you having to go a separate way or separate yourself from friends that you normally would hang out with. It might have to require you of saying, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to go spend some time in my truck reading the word at lunchtime versus hanging out with the boys and talking about the stuff. Uh, breakthrough comes when you choose to love someone that you would rather hate. Breakthrough comes when you begin to praise when you really want to complain. Breakthrough comes when you overlook an offense uh, and want to get even. Oh, it's, breakthrough comes when you wait on God uh, and you begin to wait uh, and want to do for somebody else. Uh, breakthrough comes when you choose to give uh, instead of keep. Uh, I'm telling you, breakthrough is just a moment away in every one of our lives. Uh, are you going to make a breakthrough? So they break through the enemy lines. They fight their way through. And they get this. They, they, it's okay. I can, I, can see, I can see like the Philistine captain coming to his general or whoever's over him. Yeah, come in. Hey, boss. Yeah. We just had a three, uh, three Jewish Israelites. They, these Hebrews, they broke through our lines. What? They broke through our lines. Did you get them? No, they escaped. Well, what did they get? They get our plans? They get our, they get our guns? Did they get our ammunition? Did they, what, what resources did they get? What, what did we lose? What did they, did you, what, what did they, they get? Well, boss, as good as we can figure, they, they got a bucket of water. What? They risked their lives for a bucket of water? 
Yeah. I don't know. I mean, we can't explain it. I don't, we don't know what happened. But they, they, they just came through. They, they made their way. They put one of our guys in the headlock. He pa- passed out. They knifed two or three other guys, and we chased them, chased them all the way to the, boil, to the well. They grabbed a bucket, and his, one guy's putting his bucket down the well. They're fighting us off, and, and, they're, and they're, they're hurting us, and they're wounding us, and, 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 and they get the bucket of water, and they, they run away. That seems strange. Yeah. That's very bizarre, don't you think? Yeah. What was that all about? They're crazy, boss. I told you they're crazy. They're crazy. We'll have our worship team come. Number three. Worship team come, point number three. We'll come back to that little scene in a minute. A mighty man, a mighty woman of God is a person that gives God a drink through their worship. Mm. I, I believe these three men couldn't get it out of their heads. What David had whispered to them in that little cave. This story reminds me of John chapter four where Jesus goes to a place where the Bible says he had needs to go through, called Samaria. It wasn't the shortcut, it wasn't the easiest way, but he had needs to go through Samaria and he finds himself at a well talking to a Samaritan woman. Jews didn't talk to Samaritans. They were the happies. You didn't, you didn't do that. And, but he was talking to this Samaritan woman, this woman at the well. And the conversation goes from water to worship. He says, Won't you, I sure am thirsty. Think you give me a drink? Yeah, I'll give you a drink. And a few verses later, they're talking about worshiping the Lord. Jesus literally combined water and worship. The Samaritan woman represents, again, the church. Another analogy, a metaphor of the church. She'd had five husbands. In other words, she lived in, in, she lived in her senses, the five senses that we all live in. She, she was all about what she felt and thought and all that kind of stuff. And, and that wasn't good enough. It didn't satisfy her. And then she moved to a sixth guy who she was living with. And six is the number of man. It speaks of our carnality. It speaks of our humanity. And that wasn't doing it for her either. But come on, she met a seventh man named Jesus, the, the son of God. And he began to introduce her to a whole thing called worship. He's a sweetheart, really what you're looking for. You're not really looking for water. You're really not looking for another man. You're not looking for another relationship to fill you. What you're really looking for is something called worship, sweetheart. And when you worship, every need that you have, every longing that's in your heart will be fulfilled. Oh, I hope you catch this this morning. Jesus didn't want water. He wanted worship. And again, we follow Jesus to the cross. He's on the cross. He doesn't say, hey, I'm hungry. Hey, uh, hey, I'm hurting here. He says, I, I, I thirst. <laughs> he wasn't, I'm sure he was thirsty in the natural. But I believe he was speaking to us the generations that come through the corridors of time. And he was 
saying to us, his church, I am thirsty. Oh, I, I, I just wish I had something to drink. Mm. And the best we could do was put an old rag dipped in sour vinegar, some old, some old stale, used to be grape juice gone sour on the end of an old crooked stick. And the best we could give the Son of God, the best we could offer the great Messiah, the King of all kings who left the, the throne room of heaven to come and abode and become like man that gave his life uh, so my sins could be washed away. The best I could offer is a wooden crooked stick uh, with a piece of old uh, washed out religion on the end of the stick uh, and say here, here's some old worship, uh, some old sour grapes, uh, some old ways of living for God that I found out in the corner. I'll have this and Jesus spit it out of his mouth. That's not what I want. He wasn't wanting water, I don't believe, to begin with. He was wanting worship. These three men were worshipers. Imagine all they could think about while they're fighting their way through the Philistine army's line of defense was, whoo, I can't wait. I can't wait to see the look on David's face. Whoa, I can't wait to see what he thinks when we give him this bucket of water. Get out of my way. They're fighting their way through the enemy lines. I must look like an idiot up here sometimes. And all they could think about was like the Christmas gift you give your, your, your spouse or your kids. They had no idea they were about to get this incredible gift. They, they had no idea that you've made a sacrifice. They had no idea that you've, they've been on your mind for months upon months and you've made plans and sacrifices just to get this gift. They have no idea. And all you can do is just sit on the edge of your seat and wait for them to open that package. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> And they're breaking through the enemy lines. And they're asking themselves, this is all worth it. We'd break through another one if we had to. Can I say breakthroughs come through praise and worship? Only worshipers become mighty. Only worshipers understand what the Bible says, offer up a sacrifice of praise which is your reasonable service. Only worshipers will experience uh, the miracles and become acquainted with God's power. It's only a worshiper. And they finally come into the tent where, where David's at. They come into the tent and, and they got, this guy's got like an arrow in his leg. This guy's got a bandage around his head, blood throwing, blowing down. This guy's got cuts all over his arm. And they come in and they go, hey, David! Hey, hey, buddy. What was, what's this? We, we heard that you, uh, you wanted some water from Bethlehem. Yeah. Here, here it is right here. 
You, you, you went to Bethlehem? You went into the garrison? You went to the headquarters of the Philistine army? You went into the very heart of the, the, the enemy's stronghold to give me a bucket of water? I, mean, I know you, you didn't want it, but you whispered it. And you whispered when your whisper became our command. Boss, here it is. You've done so much for us. This is the least we could do for you. And the Bible says uh, David took, took the water. And I could see their look on their face, right? Like, it was all worth it. They're bleeding. They got to go to the ER as soon as this is over. They got, they, their legs probably broke, their arms half hanging on. But it's all worth it. And David looks at this water and puts it to his lips. I, I, I can't, I, I can't, I can't do it. What, what, what do you mean? I, I, I can't, I, I can't. He picks up the bucket and begins to pour it out to the ground. If I'm, the, if I'm one of these mighty men, I'm just being honest with you. I'd be like, hey! I'd be, I'd be like this. Hey! What are you doing here? See this leg half hanging on? And he says to them, you risk your life. You are willing to spill your blood for this. I would disgrace you. I would, it would be the ultimate disrespect of who you are as a person if I took that and used it and consumed it upon myself. Can I tell you, I can't do this. I, I can't. I don't have it in me to take what you've given me without pouring it out. Can I say this? There was a man named Jesus of Nazareth who went on a cross. And all we could do was offer him up a vinegar-filled rag on a crooked stick and Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And eventually he would say it is finished. He would hang his head. The earth would become dark. The ground would begin to quake. And the Roman soldier would come up with a spear and they would jab him in the side to make sure he was dead. And the Bible says, makes it very clear. And out of his side flowed water and blood into the earth. The cursed earth. The earth that had been cursed for thousands of years was now being bought back by a price that he had paid. Can I say to you this morning that the blood and the water flows this very hour. 
And God's waking, waiting for some people that will begin to make some breakthroughs. Uh, he's waiting for some people that will begin to lift up his voice uh, and to begin to stand uh, and lift up holy hands uh, and say, I'm going to love my God. I'm going to worship him. I'm going to give him thanks. Uh, I don't care what it costs me. Uh, I'm going to love on a God that gave his life for me. I'm going to give him all my praise. Come on, can we worship him this morning? Come on, let's just raise our hands to the heavens. Let's sing it to the Lord. We worship you, God. Yes, God. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> How great is our... I will sing, I will sing. How great. Oh, yes, I know. How great, how great is our God. Great, how great. You are great, you are mighty. You are God, you are King, you are Lord. I will sing how great. close with this story. Our prayer teams, if you would come up front, it would be awesome. And so, earlier this year, I was taking a little prayer walk and I was on this little prayer walk and just praying and talking to the Lord. And I said, God, 
What's burdening you? What's on your heart? I don't want to pray what's on my heart. I want to ask, talk to you about what's on my heart. God, would, would you just share with me? Father, would you just share with me what's on your heart? What's burdening you right now? What's, what's a major issue in your life that you see right now? What, what, what is one of the things? Just give me one, just give me one of the things. And I'm, not, I'm telling you, as soon as I got it out of my mouth, it just, the words came exploding into my mind. I, I knew it was the Lord. And he said, abortion is on my heart. So I just leaned, leaned into that and just began to pray about the whole issue. And, and then I found myself saying, God, I feel, I feel so, I want to help. I want to do something. I, I know that's a burden in your heart. It's a burden now on mine as well. And it's on, on our nation and the body of Christ. We, we're burdened about the whole issue of taking an unborn child's life. It just doesn't even make sense, God. But I don't know what to do. God, I'm a nobody in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> God, just show me what to do. And I began to try to think of some things that we could do and some ideas came, and, but I just didn't feel good. I went and had you know, lunch with the people that work at Women's Medical Care Center. It's a great place and they show imaging of the baby before the baby the woman decides to have an abortion. It's all wonderful stuff. I just didn't feel something still wasn't hitting. And I, so I just have done nothing really. And then, this is so wild, this is so crazy. So about a month ago, I get a text out of nowhere from somebody that doesn't even live here, doesn't even go to church here. Somebody I knew years ago. They live up on the East Coast and they work for a place called Alliance Defending Freedom. I get this text and this, this is cool, this is so cool, this is so God, right? It says, Pastor JP, we are meeting with 80 attorneys that will be arguing the Mississippi Dobbs versus Jackson case on December 1st. And we're gonna be having a retreat the day before December 1st hearing and then, a, and then a, a, another session afterwards. And we would like to know if you would be willing to come, we'll pay your airfare, we'll pay for your hotel, we'll pay for you and your wife to fly all the way up here just to lay your hands and pray for the attorneys that are gonna argue for this case. Can you believe that? Can you believe that, brother? I'm looking at my phone, I'm going, do they, is this the right, do they know who I am? They, do they have the right guy? They made a mistake, they made a mistake. I said, Melissa, check your phone. She checked your phone, she got the same text. I'm like, and immediately God said, I told you. I told you, if you will be concerned for what I'm concerned, I will pour your prayers back into your life. You give God worship, you give God praise, you give God what he thirsts for, and I promise God will take your prayers and your praise and your worship and pour it right back into your life. That's how you become a mighty man and woman of God. Can you give God one more praise this morning? I love you, God. I praise you. I can't say it enough. I can't say it enough. I worship you. How great, how great is my God, my God. So this morning, this morning, 
I was on my way to the fire station to have, check this out, isn't this cool? <laughs> to have our small group. I put this little song on of worship to the Lord. And I felt like God was like, yes, this is what I crave. This is what I said because God doesn't need worship because he's on an ego trip. He needs worship. So he has something to put in a container and pour back into our lives. He's not longing for water on the cross because he's thirsty. As much as he's longing for water on the cross, so you'll hear what he's actually saying. I long for worship so I can turn your worship and your sacrifice of love back into your life. All he's ever wanted is give. He just wants to give back, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, the Bible says. That's all it is. I was driving my truck. I couldn't even see the road. I was crying so much. I was like, God, I was yelling. You would think I was a crazy man. I was in the truck. God, I love you. I love you, God. I worship you, God. I worship you. I think something in the heart of God is pleased. The Bible says that his eyes go to and fro about the earth, trying to find someone that will just worship him. His eyes go to and fro. He's just looking. He's looking. Can I find a worship? Where, where can I find some worship? Because if he can find some worship, he can pour something back out into the earth that he longs to pour out. So this morning, I beg you, don't leave here, your normal self. Become a worshiper of the Lord. We, we have a holiday called Thanksgiving. It's not about turkey. It's not about stuffing and all these pumpkin pies. It's about taking a moment, getting your eyes off of your belly and putting your heart upon the king and give him what he desires. This week of Thanksgiving, can you become a person that gives God drink? Will you become that person? Will you become that person? Well, Patrick, God bless you, man.